Hey, my name is Paige, one of our servant leaders here at Ethos. Thank you so much for checking out our podcast today. We hope you can lean in and enjoy this message. And I'm excited to dig into God's word today. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn to Ephesians chapter four? That's where we're gonna hang out today, Ephesians chapter four. And if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. Uh, I think this is a very big Bible behind me. Everything I'm gonna read from my Bible is gonna be on the screen today. Ephesians chapter four, and we are continuing this series called The Gift of Limits, The Gift of Limits. And uh, I wanna start by reading seven verses And then I'll give you our message title and then we'll pray. Okay, this is uh, Ephesians chapter four, starting in verse 17. Here's what the Bible says. It says, with the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as as the Gentiles do for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the spirit, the Holy Spirit, renew your thoughts and attitudes, put on your new nature created to be like God truly righteous and holy. Today, if you're taking notes, which I hope you are, because I think that they're going to check your notes when you get to heaven. There's going to be like, where where are your notes? You're in ethos, so where are your notes? So write down this message title over the next few minutes. I want to talk to you about the limit of perfection, the gift of sanctification, the limit of perfection, the gift of sanctification. Now, before I say anything, I want you to know my heart and my burden today because I've been praying about this for the last couple weeks. And I want you to know that my burden today is just to simply help you. My goal today is not to impress you with words. My goal is not to even inspire you or stir up some kind of emotion on the inside of you today. I believe that today we have gathered here not to hear from me, but to hear from God. And my prayer is that every single one of us walk out of here different than how we walked in. And I believe that God wants to do that today. So let's pray and let's ask God to do that. God, I ask that you help us reject perfection and embrace the gift of sanctification. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. I like to pray short. Okay. Um, Now, these seven verses that we just read, I think it's really important for you to know the context behind those seven verses. Because the book of Ephesians is not just a book of the Bible. It's actually a letter. It was originally a letter that was written by a guy named Paul. And Paul is actually, he's known as an apostle. Maybe you've heard of him as the apostle Paul. And he really is a legend. He is like, if there was a Mount Rushmore of Christians, he would be on it. I mean, he did incredible things when he was on planet earth. I mean, he actually came to a relationship with Jesus because he face to face had an encounter with Jesus. He helped plant and and launch and lead a lot of different churches. And he actually wrote 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament, including this book of Ephesians. Now, this is a letter that Paul wrote, but he wrote it to a group of people. In fact, he wrote it to a church. He wrote it to a church that was in the 
the city of Ephesus, which at the time that this book was written, it was the Ephesus was the third most influential city in the Roman Empire, kind of like Columbus in the United States. It's New York, LA, and then Columbus, just barely, almost second. It's right there. And, uh, and in these seven verses, it's really important for us to understand that Paul is writing to a church. In other words, he's writing to followers of Jesus. He's writing to Christians. He's writing to people who have already made the decision to receive the free gift of grace and to follow Jesus. And in these seven verses, Paul actually makes two things crystal clear. And the first one is this. He says that if you are a follower of Jesus, that your life should not look like the world around you. He says that your life, it should actually look different, that if you've given your life to God, that your life should look different than the world that is around you. Now, the Bible actually talks a lot about this idea of the world. And a lot of times it can be very like theory, but let me give you a great definition that I read recently uh, from a pastor and author by the name of John Mark Comer. He defines the world as a system of ideas and values and morals and practices and social norms that are integrated into the mainstream and eventually institutionalized in a culture corrupted by the twin sins of rebellion against God and the redefinition of good and evil. And Paul says, man, your life should look different than that. Now, the Bible also talks a lot about what our relationship should be to this world. Let me just share just some verses, rapid fire. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 says, do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. And James 4, 4 doesn't even mess around, goes straight for the jugular right here and says, don't you realize that friendship with the world, friendship with that system of ideas and values and morals, practices and social norms, that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God. I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. And then Jesus himself says in John chapter 15, verse 19, that the world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it. But you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world. And in these seven verses in Ephesians chapter four, man, Paul makes it clear that if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, that your life should not look like the world around you. And then he actually makes another thing clear. He says, number two, that if you are a follower of Jesus, not only should your life look different than the world around you, you should be a brand new person. Not only should it be different, but you should be different. And he, let me read this uh, verse 24 just from a different translation. It says, yes, you must be a new and different person, holy and good. 
clothe yourself with this new nature. And we actually see this theme throughout the entire New Testament. We see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, anyone who belongs to Christ. So listen, if you have made the decision to follow Jesus, if you are at Ethos Church right now, and you would say, maybe you're watching online, that I am a Christian. If you belong to Christ, anyone that's done that has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And then Jesus himself even says this in John chapter three, verse three, which is actually the backdrop of the most influential, most known verse of the Bible, John 3, 16, 13 verses before he says those words. He says this in verse three, he says, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, unless you become a brand new person, you cannot see the kingdom of God of God. Listen, I want to make this abundantly clear right off the bat. Being a Christian isn't about becoming nice. It's not about being nice. It's about becoming brand new. That's what Christianity is all about. It's not about just being nice. It's not about behavior modification or being able to you know, live your life by this certain ethics and morality. It's not putting on your nice church smile and your, your church mask and coming in and acting like everything is good or being sugary sweet all the time. That's not what it's about. It's not about being nice. It's about becoming new. So in these seven verses, let me just recap. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying that if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, your life shouldn't look like the world around you. It should look different. Why? Because you are a brand new person. Then for the next 27 verses, all the way into Ephesians chapter five, Paul actually describes what that should look like. And he gives two lists. He breaks down these two lists of what you should do and what you shouldn't do. And we're about to read every single one of them. And I want to warn you, before we read this massive chunk of scripture, these are some of the most confrontational some of the most challenging verses in the entire Bible, they will get all up in your business. They will get all up in your kitchen. They will step on your toes and not even care. I'm telling you, I've been following Jesus for a long time and I read through these scriptures and there's still things that I wrestle with and there's still, still things that, man, I'm like, oh, I don't do that very well. So I just wanna warn you, that, that these, these, these are challenging. These are confrontational. So, and we're gonna read them all. And so here's what I want you to do. Just take a deep breath. We're gonna get through this. Just buckle up. Put your, put your trays and your seats in their full and upright position and we're gonna do this. Okay, Ephesians chapter four, starting in verse 25. Here's what he says, that's what this should look like. So your life should be different than the world around you. In fact, you should be a brand new person. And here, then he describes what that should look like, starting in verse 25. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all part of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. By the way, I want you to notice that it doesn't say do not get angry. It doesn't say that. It says don't sin by letting anger control you. That's because anger is not a sin. What we do when we get angry can be a sin 
but anger in and of itself is not a sin. Then he goes on and says, don't let the sun go down while you are still angry for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you are a thief, stop it, (laughs) quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. I loved hearing the story of your generosity as a church. In verse 29, and we're gonna stop after I read this. Verse 29 says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. By the way, no verse in the entire Bible has made more of a day-to-day impact in my life than Ephesians 4, 29. It is by far not my favorite one, but it has made the biggest difference in my life. So much so because I struggled so much with my words for a season of my life. I grew up in the locker room, so I really had like a locker room culture. I was always tearing things down. And this verse like got a hold of my heart and I was so bad at my words, I had to memorize it. And I memorized it and broke it down in in the NIV. And here's what it says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. And let me tell you, I argue with God with that. I'm like, any? Like, what if I'm joking? Is that okay? And then he says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up, that our words should build others up. And then it says, according to their needs. Like, get this, the words that we speak should even be selfless. The words that we speak should actually be about the other people, not about us. And it says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Then it says this, that it may benefit those who listen. Now that part blows me away because here's what that means. That means if I were to have a conversation with Pastor Jordan and you happen to listen to that conversation, that it should benefit your life. And he says, that's how you should talk. Pretty challenging, at least to me. And then it goes on to say in verse 30, and do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Verse 31, it gets even harder. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other tenderhearted, forgiving one another. And then he takes that forgiveness to a whole nother level when he says, forgive just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Imitate God. Therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Let there be no sexual immorality impurity or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God, for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in the things these people do for once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. 
for this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret, but their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light, oh, that makes everything visible. That is why it is said, awake, wake up, O sleeper. Rise up from the dead and Christ will give you light. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So for 27 verses, Paul says, this is what that looks like. And he gives this massive list of do's and don'ts. And he's saying, this is what it looks like to not look like the world. This is what it looks like to be a brand new person. On one side, here's the things that you shouldn't do. These are things that shouldn't be in your life. But then on the other side, these are things that you should do. These are things that your life should look like. And he says, this is what it looks like to be a brand new person and to not look like the world around you. And let me just make this crystal clear. This list, these lists have nothing to do with salvation. Like Paul is not saying that, hey guys, once you follow Jesus, here's what you gotta do. Here's all the things that you need to do to be saved. And here's all the things that you don't need to do to be saved. That's not what he's saying because he makes it actually crystal clear two chapters earlier in Ephesians chapter two, verse eight, nine, when he says, God saved you by his grace when you believed and you cannot take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. In other words, ethos, he says, we are only saved by grace through faith, period. That grace, it cannot be earned. It can only be received. But he is saying that once you have experienced grace, then that should actually affect how you live your life, that your whole life should be a response to the grace that you have received. So in these 27 verses, Paul says, and let's throw that list back up there. Paul says, this is what it looks like to live in response to the grace that you have experienced. This is what it looks like to not look like the world. This is what it looks like to be a brand new person. But here's my question, especially if you are here and you are a follower of Jesus, at some point you have made the decision to receive the free gift of grace, to give him your life. You are a Christian. Here's my question to you. So what do we do when our lives don't look like that? Because let's just be honest. Let's have a little group counseling session here at church today. I believe church should be the safest place to be honest. So just by a show of hands, how many of you would say that you struggle with something on this list? 
Come on, don't T-Rex arm that thing. Put that thing way up. Let everybody see that, man, yeah, me too. Like when I look up there, I see some things, man, I struggle with these things. We all do. Now, here's my bigger question. Here's something that I think we have to wrestle with today. Can our lives ever look like this? Like, is that even possible? Is it possible for this to look like our life? Is it possible for this to be the things we don't do and this be the things that we, we actually do? Is it even possible for, and here's why it is so important at some point in our Christian walk that we have to wrestle with this. Because I understand this is something that, that, takes, that takes like, man, we really gotta wrestle with this. But here's why it is so important because if you don't think it is possible, you will eventually give up. You'll eventually stop trying. You may get to a point where it's like, I went all in. I tried to do everything that I could. I did everything Pastor Jordan told me to do and what the team told me to do. I got in the group. I did the Ethos 301. I did all the things. I served on the servant leadership team. I went through Tuesday prayer. I did the serve. I did all the things on that Saturday. I did everything and it just doesn't work. You'll get to a point where it's like, man, if I don't get that way, I'm just going to give up. Now, I think one of the biggest lies of the enemy is tricking us into thinking that once we give our lives to Jesus, that this is what our lives will just automatically look like. That when you give your life to Jesus, when you say, God, I give you my whole life, I'm all in, then all of a sudden the next day, your life will look like this, that we won't struggle with the same things after Jesus that we did before Jesus. In other words, that we would just be perfect, that we won't have any struggles or problems. And the truth is that's just not how it works. And it's so easy, I think, for us to put these unrealistic expectations on ourselves after we make the decision to follow Jesus, that our life should just be perfect. And these expectations of perfection sometimes start to creep in. It's like we realize we desperately need Jesus and the grace of God pre-Jesus, but then we forget the day after we give our life to Jesus. And we just think, man, we should be giving, we should be just living this perfection. Now, I say this because I feel like this is such a big part of my story. See, I made the decision to follow Jesus a little over 24 years ago on June 25th, 1999. And the truth is, is that like before June 25th, 1999, there were some of the things on this list that were my biggest struggles. But here's the also the truth. After June 25th, 1999, on June 26th, those same exact things were my biggest struggles. See, before I got saved, my anger was out of control. My temper was out of control. And then after I got saved, my anger was still out of control. Before I got saved, I was awful with my words. I was constantly tearing people down and making fun of everything and everybody. And then after I got saved, I just found myself drifting back to the same exact way of talking and still being awful in my words. Before I got saved, and I struggled with lust and sexual immorality, including pornography. And then after I got saved, I still struggled with lust and sexual immorality. I was still looking at porn. See, I thought that 
after I gave my life to Jesus, after I got saved, that I wouldn't struggle anymore with those same exact things, that God would instantly take away those desires, that I would just be instantly different as soon after I did that. And I wish that was my story. I wish I could tell you that, man, I gave my life to Jesus on June 25th, 1999, and then all of a sudden my life was different. But that wasn't the case. In fact, what it felt like is that nothing had changed. Except now, except now I felt awful. I felt even more guilty. I felt even more shame because after all, now I'm a Christian. And now I shouldn't be struggling with those things, but I am struggling with those things. Let me put it this way. Another way to say it is that I struggled so bad with not being perfect. Is that like out of 100 things, 99 can go right, but they should go right. But I hyper fixate on the one thing that doesn't go right. And I put this expectation of that on me. And I felt like I struggled more with guilt and shame after following Jesus than before following Jesus. And maybe you've experienced this. Maybe right now you're at the 11 a.m. service at Ethos Church and it's like I'm describing your life. Maybe you have given your life to Jesus and gotten saved and you thought that you would just instantly change, that you wouldn't have those same exact temptations and desires and struggles but in reality, nothing has changed. Your life and your struggles, it feels like are the exact same after Jesus as they were before Jesus. So you were bitter and unforgiving before, and now you're still bitter and still unforgiving. That you were negative before, and you're still just as negative. Like you loved to gossip before, And you still find yourself loving those little morsels of gossip that you can get into. You were owned by porn before, and now you're still owned by porn. You got drunk before, and now you're still getting drunk. And you told little white lies to make yourself look better before, and now you're still telling those same exact little white lies. You were addicted to that destructive habit before and now you're addicted, except now it feels totally different and now you feel awful. It's like you live every single day carrying around this guilt and shame like weights on everything that you are experiencing because now you are a Christian and it just feels like that. And if that's you, I want you to know that I've been praying for you. I actually dedicate this entire message to you because I've been there and I want you to know that you are not alone. And I want you to know if that's you, I've been praying for you and I actually dedicate this message to you. And if that's you, if you're struggling with those same things over and over again, if you feel like, man, I should be changing faster than what I am. If I, if you're on the verge of giving up, if maybe you're like, this is my last Sunday, I'm smiling on the outside, but I'm dying on the inside. And if I don't get some answers, I'm out. And you're on the verge of giving up, if that's your story, let me just talk to just you. Because if you and I were able to go and just have a one-on-one coffee and you were to tell me that story and say, here's where I'm at, what should I do? What advice do you have? This is what I would tell you. 
I would tell you it is so important right now at this part of your journey for you to understand the difference between salvation and sanctification. Now, those are two very big theological, wordy, uh, churchy, Christianese type language. But it's really important for us to understand the difference between salvation and sanctification. Because salvation, let me just help you, it's the moment that you say yes to Jesus. It is the moment that you say, I'm all in. I give you my life. I receive the free gift of grace. That is salvation. It is a moment. It happens like that. But sanctification is not a moment. It's actually a process. And it is the process of becoming like Jesus. And I have some not the best news when it comes to sanctification. Because sanctification is the slow, ongoing process of becoming more and more like Jesus that produces real lasting change. And by the way, this process will actually last the rest of your life. The truth is you will not receive full sanctification this side of heaven. And so some of you, you hear that and you're like, wait, it's a process that I'll never actually get to that is actually really slow and it's this very inch by inch. No, that's even too far. It's millimeter by millimeter get becoming more and more like Jesus and it'll last the rest of my life and truthfully, I won't even get there. So what is the point? Is it even worth it? Is it worth the effort? Is it worth it? It feels so uphill. So is it even worth the effort that it would be to be able to do that? Why even try? And if you are here as somebody that has wrestled with this for decades, let me just tell you this. Absolutely, it is worth it. And let me tell you why. Because in John chapter 10, verse 10, it says, I love this verse so much. Jesus comes and he says this. He says, I came so that they could have real and eternal life. And then he says this, more and better life. Another translation says life to the full and the best life that you can live, this more and better life that they ever dreamed of. And I love that because what this verse says is that Jesus didn't come for just salvation. He came to give you an amazing life right now. It's not about one day. It's about right now that the best possible life that you can ever live is found following Jesus. Now, here's the revelation that I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me years and years ago. And it's like, we're talking about the sanctification. Is it worth it? And I say, absolutely, yes. And here's why, because the more and better life that Jesus has to offer you is the process of sanctification. It is found in that daily process, that millimeter by millimeter becoming more and more like Jesus. And instead of being frustrated with that, no, I want to bring encouragement and life into that process because that is the best life that you and I can ever live. It is the best life that Jesus actually paid for you to experience. That is that the more and better life that Jesus offers is found in that process of becoming more and more like him. So the question is, how do we practically experience this process? How can we take this conversation that we're having on a Sunday and implement it into our Monday? And here's what I would say. Here's the key. If you want to know the key to sanctification is this. The key to sanctification is putting yourself in the right position. That's the key. 
that if you want to experience this whole process of sanctification, the key is putting yourself in the right position. Now, I am a huge believer in controlling what you can control. In fact, oftentimes I think about my day and I try to have these two lists. What are things that I can control and what are things that I can't control? And the things I can't control, I'm gonna make the decision right here at the start of my day to not put one second or one ounce of energy towards the things I can't control. In fact, I believe that 98% of the anxiety we experience is trying to control things on this list. And so I sit there and I, I, I love to think through what are the things that we can't control? And here's what's so important. You got to get this. You can't control your pace. You can only control your position. That's it. That's what you can control. You can't control your position, but you, that, your, your pace, but you can control your position. Now, the truth is we don't like that, right? Like we don't. We don't like that because we live in a world of instant gratification. We live in a world when that brand new T-Swift album comes out, we can listen to it right away. That when, that when that new show comes out and gets released on the streaming platform, we can watch all of it in one day whenever we want to. We live in a world right now that has conditioned us to when we want it, we want it in access and we want it right now. And that's not how this process works because you can't control the speed of sanctification, how fast or slow that process goes, but you can control consistently putting yourself in the position to experience that sanctification. Let me put it this way. You can't control how fast you change, but you can put yourself in the right position to change. So here's my question. If I was sitting in your seat, okay, cool, I'm in, I buy it. So what's the right position? What is the actual, the position of sanctification? If that's all that we can control, if we can't control the pace of how fast we change, but we can control the position that we get in and put ourselves that actually can lead to change, what is the position? And I think it is found in Romans chapter 12, in the first two verses. Here's what the Bible says. Here's the position of sanctification. Therefore, I urge you. In ethos, let me just say, I urge you. I may never come and speak here again. This may be the only time we ever see each other. But I've just made a decision, man. I wanna lead you like I was leading our church. And I urge you that if you're here and those are the the things that you've wrestled with, I urge each and every one of you, my brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer, here's the position, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, to be changed from the inside out, to change your belief that then affects your behavior. Don't try to change from the outside in. He says, no, I want you to change from the inside out. The beautiful word there is this word that we hear a lot in the Bible that we think is a negative word, but it's a beautiful word. It's this word of repentance. 
Because that word repentance, it simply means to change your mind, which then leads to a change in direction. That's real change. And he says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let me put these two verses in a totally different way. Here's what I think he's saying. He's saying every single day, ethos, make the decision to die to yourself. To die to your will, your ways, your agenda, your plans, your preferences, your natural leans, your desires, your appetites, your normal ways of coping. The ways that you saw things modeled for you growing up. Well, that's just who I am and that's who I'm always going to be. No, not at all. To die to your opinions, to your comfort, to die to being in control, to die to being the one that always has to be in charge. And I think the best way that I know how, after following Jesus as long as I have, that the best way that I know how to do that is Romans chapter 12, to offer my body, to offer my entire life every single day. And the truth is often multiple times a day, that it's not just a one-time process that I do every single morning, but sometimes it's like, man, I gotta do it again. And I think that to offer myself as a living, and I love that word living, a living sacrifice. And I think that language is so intentional and I think it's brilliant. Because when you read through that, you notice that the, the sacrifice is alive, it's not dead. And here's what that means, that nobody's making it get up there. So when you and I are a living sacrifice, that means we make the choice to crawl up on that altar and that we can make the choice at any time to crawl off of it or to not stay up there. And we make the choice to not only get up there, but to stay up there. And that is who our God is, that our God doesn't want to tie you up on that altar. He doesn't want to force relationship on you. He doesn't want to make you follow him. He wants you to want to follow him. That's who he is. And he says, I want you to be a living sacrifice. I want you every single day, sometimes multiple times a day, crawl up on that altar and say, I give you my life all over again. We just don't give him our life one time. We give it to him over and over and over and over again. And the more that we do that, the more that we slowly become more and more like Jesus, the more that we actually experience that very slow process of sanctification, the more I'm transformed into a brand new person by changing the way that I think. Listen, church, don't underestimate the power of making that decision every single day. Don't underestimate the power of saying, I offer my whole life as a living sacrifice every single day. I crawl up on the altar every single day. Eugene Peterson brilliantly calls this a long obedience in the same direction. And trust me, the more that you do this, the more that you offer your whole life as a living sacrifice each and every day, the more that you put yourself in the position to grow, the more that you crawl up on that altar each and every day, the more you submit every single area of your life, nothing is untouched, the more you submit 100% to that process, that ongoing process of sanctification, the more you will, not just might, I promise you, you will experience real lasting change.
And I say that as somebody who has experienced that over 24 years ago, I made the decision on the back porch of the college, uh, of a building at the college I went to, I made the decision to go all in. I grew up in church. There was never, there was never Sundays that we missed unless we had a one-on-one degree temperature. That was my life growing up. We were there every single time and I knew a lot about God, but I didn't have a relationship with God. And on June 25th, 1999, it's where like what I've been taught my whole life, the things I had in my head actually hit my heart and changed my life. And 24 years ago, I made that decision. And by the grace of God, I stand before you right now, a changed man. Like I've experienced real lasting change, but I want you to understand that it was so slow that it was millimeter by millimeter, day after day, can't even really see it. And I think that's, that's real change, right? You don't ever see your fingernails grow, but you know they do because every now and then you got to cut them. I don't ever see my children grow, even when they go through a growth spurt. I don't ever see that because wouldn't that be weird? It's like coming to the kitchen. It's like, they're like growing like Heather, come here. Look, they're growing. There's a big difference between growing and swelling. And I don't want to grow. I want to grow. I don't want to swell. The swelling eventually goes down. But real lasting change and growth, man, that sticks. And I'm telling you, I have experience. And it wasn't overnight. It was over time. And some of the things that I used to struggle with, and I say this so humbly, I don't struggle with anymore. God has radically changed me from the inside out. I'm by no means perfect, but I've gotten way better at controlling my anger. I've gotten way better at not letting any unwholesome talk come out of my mouth. I've experienced very real freedom from sexual immorality. I haven't looked at pornography in over a decade. And listen, I still have a long way to go. There are things right now on that list of things to do and things not to do that I see in my life when I take spiritual inventory, when I look myself in the spiritual mirror and I'm like, man, that's still something that I need to work on. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for highlighting that. That's an area where it almost feels like a game of whack-a-mole. It's like I work on something, pow, get that down, then pop, something else comes up. Anybody else? Is this just me? But the truth is, man, I celebrate every inch forward. I celebrate what God's done in my life. And I want you to please hear my heart because I know that there's so much that still is yet to do, but I thank God that I'm not where I was. And please, please, please hear my heart because I'm not, I'm not telling you that to brag on myself. I'm not telling you that. I hear even wrestle with, do I even share this? Do I even say this? Because I never want to come across as like, oh, I'm the perfect pastor, the perfect Christian. Not at all. I know I am one bad choice away from being in the same exact spot. I'm not the hero of the story. But here's why I wanted to tell you that. Because I want to tell you, if I can experience that, you can too. I believe it with all my heart. So if you are in that spot where it's like, I don't even know if this is worth it. I feel more guilt and shame after following Jesus than before. I just want to just encourage you. I, man, I want to beg you to let this scripture and then I'll be done to let it hit the very depths of your soul today. If that's you, here's my final encouragement to you. Galatians chapter six, verse nine. 
So let's not get tired of doing what is good. Let's not stop putting ourselves in position to grow. Let's not stop crawling up on that altar each and every day. Let's not stop submitting to that beautiful but hard process of sanctification. Let's not get tired of doing what is good at just the right time. We will, not that we might, but that we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Ethos Church, don't give up. Don't quit. Keep going. Listen, if you don't quit, you win. Don't give up.